Today we're continuing with our series, No Divisions, which is a series about Christian unity. If you weren't here last week, I hope you'll go online and uh, catch up with that first message of the series. Uh, I'm going to very briefly recap it, but, but please you know, go listen to it. Don't just, uh, don't just let this recap uh, suffice. Uh, last week we considered the why of Christian unity. And we discovered from the 133rd Psalm that Christian unity is important for a variety of reasons. We discovered that it's important because it's good and pleasant. It's it's an enjoyable way to live. Uh, You've probably seen this in your own life, in marriage, and friendships. When everybody's in unity with one another, life is pretty good. And when disunity and division uh, seems to sneak in, then life gets pretty uncomfortable and can sometimes even be rather... Uh, miserable. So unity is good and pleasant. We also found that unity is fragrant and refreshing, which really is just kind of a way of saying that it's pleasing or it's appealing, I should say, to outsiders. It is one of the primary ways that Christians are to witness to the world the difference that Jesus has made uh, in our lives. And then we also found from that 133rd Psalm that within the unity of believers, That is the environment where the Lord bestows his blessing. And so you put all that together, uh, it's it's really um, a great explanation of why unity is so important. It's a a better way to live. It's appealing to outsiders. It's an example to the world that's filled with division, that there's actually a better way to do things. It is a key witness that we bear witness to the difference that the gospel is made in our lives, the difference that Jesus has made in our lives, and it creates an environment within which the Lord bestows his blessing. And so we found that unity is very important, both for us as believers and for our witness to the world. And we found that it's really a much bigger deal when believers give in to disunity and division than what many believers consider it to be. In fact, it's a really big deal uh, when when we do that. And having discovered the importance of unity, we then turned our attention to 1 Corinthians 1.10, where the Apostle Paul makes a very passionate appeal for unity, stating that there should be no divisions among believers, which is where the title of the series came from. <clears throat> and Paul appeals for unity in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no stronger appeal that can be made for something by a believer than to invoke the name of Christ. And so this demonstrates very clearly that Christian unity is a really big deal, and we can come to no other conclusion when we look at 1 Corinthians 1.10 than that what Paul is actually doing is he is insisting on Christian unity. He's appealing, he's pleading, but really this word is accurate. Paul is insisting on Christian unity. Unity, And so with Christian unity being so important, with such an authoritative voice as the Apostle Paul insisting on it, we need to be people or we need to become people, if we aren't, who value unity, who are committed to unity, and really importantly, who are willing to work to maintain unity. And so today we move from the why of Christian unity to the how of Christian unity. We know it's important. We know we need to value it. We know we need to be committed. We know we need to work at it. But how? How do we walk in unity with the likes of each other? 
How do we do that? To answer that question, we turn to Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Uh, If you have your Bible, you can turn there real quickly. It should be on the screen behind me. I'll read. You follow along as I do. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. From these six verses, we find really good guidance on how believers can walk in unity. Six things that we find that I hope to briefly cover here over these next few minutes. How do we walk in unity? Verse 1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. In the words of William MacDonald, we understand that, quote, our exalted standing in Christ calls for corresponding godly conduct, end quote. As recipients of the grace of God, as members of the kingdom of God, As those who are in Christ and as those who have publicly identified ourselves as Christians, we have a responsibility to act consistent with who God has made us to be, with the privileged position that God has put us all into. When God saved us, he placed us in his one body. He made us one with every other believer, different parts of the body, but one body. And so we have a responsibility to conduct ourselves in a way that respects and honors this one body that Christ has placed us within. This means that we're not free to act any way we may be inclined to act. We must always aspire to act in a way that is worthy of the calling We've received. And so one of the key tools we have to maintain Christian unity, to guard against division, is to remember who we are in Christ and to remember that that comes with a responsibility to act consistently with our position of being in Christ. We walk in unity by remembering who we are and how we are to act in light of who we are. We're in Christ. We're not our own. We're part of the one body that Jesus Christ died for and rose again for. And so acting in the best interest of Christ's one body is a fundamental responsibility of our position in Christ. How do we walk in unity? Paul says in verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Humility is so important toward unity Humility is that quality that understands that everything isn't about me. I'm not the center of everything. Now, I matter. We all matter. But we have to come to the place where we understand it's not all about me. Rick Warren uh, gave us this uh, great thought on humility. I think it was Rick Warren who said this. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. 
Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. I think that's just so good. Humility allows me to consider the other person because I'm not just constantly thinking about myself. Humility allows me to prefer others, to not always assert my will into every situation, at least not until I've sought to understand another person's perspective. Humility is that quality that recognizes we may not always be right about everything. We think we are, but humility listens to others. Humility understands that as much as we've learned, we still have room to learn more. We still have room to grow. Humility recognizes that I might not always see every situation as clearly as I think I do. I've seen it many times in situations where division happens in a church. So often it happens because people think they know things that they don't know. They assess a situation with absolute certainty that the facts don't support. They assume the worst about someone without seeking to understand that person's position or that person's actions. And so if we're going to walk in humility, if we're, I'm sorry, if we're going to walk in unity, we have to be willing to embrace humility. And you know, this really should not be as difficult for us as what it seems that it is. I mean, honestly, if we each would take it just a little stroll down memory lane and remember all the times that we've been wrong about stuff, thought wrong things, done wrong things, assessed a situation incorrectly, jumped to conclusions when we didn't have all the facts. The reality is we all have enough mistakes in our lives that humility really should not be as challenging for us as what it seems to be. Humility is important toward walking in unity. And the other word we see there, gentleness, is important toward walking in unity. The simple definition of gentleness is the quality of being kind. The quality of being kind. Gentleness, kindness, values the humanity and dignity of another person, even if I think they've acted in an unacceptable way. Even if I disagree with them about something, even if I disagree very strongly with them about something. Gentleness and kindness enables us to say this, we may disagree, but we don't have to be disagreeable. Boy, that's something that our whole culture needs to embrace. And those of us in the church need to get a tight grip on. We can disagree without being disagreeable. We may have a conflict we have to resolve, but it doesn't have to be a fight. I may not like something you've said or done, but I need to respect you enough to treat you in the midst of this disagreement the way I'd want someone who disagreed with me to treat me. And so we walk in unity by remembering who we are and the responsibilities that come with who we are. We walk in unity by embracing humility and gentleness, kindness. And then we see this in verse 2, be patient. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Paul tells us, be patient, you've got to bear with one another. Now, 
by telling us to be patient, here is what the Apostle Paul is acknowledging. We are going to try each other's patience. Inherent in that appeal to be patient is the acknowledgement, you are going to get on each other's nerves. It's there. That's why he has to tell us to be patient. We try each other's patience for a lot of reasons and in a lot of ways. We'll sometimes say things we don't mean and hurt each other. We'll sometimes say things we do mean and hurt each other. We'll sometimes let each other down. You won't show up for your scheduled ministry service and your ministry leader is going to feel let down by you. And that day you don't show up, the next time you see him, your ministry leader isn't as gracious as you'd like for them to be or maybe as they objectively should be. And now you feel let down by them. You do something that deserves a thank you, but a thank you never comes. We find out that we have political disagreements. We find out that we have parenting disagreements. We find out that we even have theological disagreements. We'll disappoint each other at times in how we act, how we respond to a problem, what we believe about something, and the list can go on and on and on. Paul tells us to be patient. And he does that because he's acknowledging that we're going to try each other's patience. And one of the most important things that you can do toward being a person who is patient with your brothers and sisters is this. Tell yourself right now that it is completely normal, it is nothing unusual at all to run into problems and disagreements with other people even and especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's not exceptional. It's not out of the ordinary. It's completely normal. And decide once and for all that you're not going to treat the need to be patient with people as something that is like requiring something of you that nobody else has ever had to do. This is normal. This is normal. we got to be patient with each other. Beyond accepting this as normal instead of exceptional, here's how the text tells us to do this. Bear with one another in love. Friends, love is not a feeling. I mean, there are things we call love and, and, and feelings are, you know, wrapped up in love, but, but love isn't really a feeling, at least not the truest kind of love. Love is a choice that we make. Love is a commitment to a person or to a people. How do people in successful marriages have successful marriages? It is almost never because they are so perfectly matched that they never have any disagreement or conflict. It's almost never that. If you have that in your marriage, you are one of a number that is astronomical. It is almost always because they make a commitment of love and that enables them to be patient with the other person. If I commit to loving you, 
and you commit to loving me, then we have, by definition, committed to being patient with each other. You cannot say that you love someone that you're not willing to be patient with. Love and patience go hand in hand. Now look at verse 3, if you have your Bible. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. How do we walk in unity? We make every effort to walk in unity. We have to commit to it. And we have to work at it. Walking in unity takes effort. It takes effort. It doesn't just happen. Sometimes it's really hard to do. But we do it by accepting it will sometimes be hard. And when unity is challenged, we make every effort to maintain it. I'm not going to take time to read it all today, but in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, the Apostle Paul writes about how the Gentiles have been brought into the people of God, and in Christ, Jews and Gentiles have been made one. And in verses 14 through 16 of Ephesians 2, here's what he writes, for he himself, Christ, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Now, most of you know this, but let me emphasize it. There has never been any greater division among people groups than the division that existed between Jews and Gentiles. Hatfields and McCoys do not come close. Ohio State and Michigan does not come close. Virginia Commonwealth and the University of Richmond do not come close. And one person, two people in here get that. Jews and Gentiles were the greatest division that has ever existed between human beings. And God in Christ made those two groups one. And much of the early church was about these groups who had been made one in Christ, learning to live together as one, learning to live in unity, and it was not easy. It required a lot of work. Sometimes they came up short. It was at the heart of Paul and Peter's confrontation with each other. It was the reason for the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. A lot of effort went into this. It was not easy, but because Christ had made them one, they had to make, they were responsible to make every effort to walk in unity. The rationale for making every effort is this. Since God through Christ had eliminated the greatest division that's ever existed, 
the early church should be willing to make every effort to live out, guard, and maintain that unity that Christ had created, in fact, that he had died for. All of us here today who are in Christ, we have been made one in Christ. Christ has done away with our divisions. He has made peace between us. He has reconciled us all to God through the cross. And because he's done that, because he's made us one through the cross, we ought to be willing to make every effort to maintain that unity. When a believer cannot be patient with a brother or sister in Christ because they have a different political opinion, or can't love a brother or sister in Christ and treat them with kindness and respect because they interpret the Bible differently on some non-essential topic, or they mistreat a brother or sister, even so division between brothers or sisters over these kind of things. When a believer separates from a brother or sister in Christ or does damage to a church over such things, they disrespect the unity of the body that Jesus died for, which means that they disrespect Christ himself. They fail to honor the cross of Christ through which Jesus has ended the hostilities between all who are in him. And I considered and reconsidered everything I just said. And I do not believe it's an overstatement. I believe it is biblically correct. It is not hyperbole. We do dishonor to the cross of Christ and to Jesus himself when we do not make every effort to walk in unity. Unity is a big deal. It's important. It goes to the heart of the gospel. And as such, we have to be willing to make every effort to walk in unity with our brothers and sisters. And so just set your mind. Right now, just set your mind. And if you're newer to the church, Set your mind, walking in unity with these people around me is going to take a lot of effort. They're a mess. They're just a mess, and it's going to take a lot of effort. And it's effort I have to be willing to make because Christ has made me one with these people. And so honoring that is actually a really big deal. Verse 4 again. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The best I can tell, the bond of peace simply means through the commitment to peace. Christ has ended the hostilities between us. He's made peace between us, and so we commit. We're going to live in peace with each other. We commit. I'm not going to be responsible for destroying. I think it's when I lean to, my, lean to my right, it goes out. We commit that we won't destroy the peace of the body of Christ. I'm not going to be responsible for destroying the peace of the body of Christ. Christ brought peace where there used to be hostility and division. And so in honor of that, we commit that we're not going to be responsible for bringing hostility and division into the peace that Christ has provided. 
And here's how we put the bond of peace into practice in the church. Most of you have heard what I'm about to say, and all of us need to be committed to walk this out. Here it is. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity or love. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. Let's briefly consider each part of the statement. In essentials, unity. There are some things that we do have to agree on to walk in unity. There are some things that are so important, so fundamental, that if we can't agree on those things, then unity is simply going to be an impossibility. Most of those things, not all, but most of those things are usually covered in the context of local churches by the church's statement of faith. And we're going to talk about this next week. We're going to bring this how down to a very practical level uh, next week. So we'll talk some about that. For example, if we can't agree that Jesus' sinless life, substitutionary death, and victorious resurrection have secured eternal life for all who trust in him, we can still be kind to each other if we don't agree on that, but we're never going to be able to walk in unity. If we don't agree that all men and women are sinners who need a Savior, we can still be respectful to each other if we don't agree on that. We're not going to be able to walk in unity as believers. If we, I, believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, and you believe it's a good book, but and it's got some beneficial stuff in it, but it's not the inspired Word of God, we're not going to be able to walk in unity in the context of a local church. There are some things that are so important, so foundational, so essential, that we simply must be able, uh, we, we must agree on those things to be able to walk in unity. So in essentials, yes, there must be unity, which in this context means agreement. There are some things that we just have to agree on. But you know, the Bible's a really big book. It's a big book. It covers a lot of topics. And it does not speak, you may have noticed this, it does not speak with equal clarity on all topics. And it also doesn't treat all topics as equally important or essential to Christian unity. And here's an example. In the early church, a big point of disagreement was whether it was okay to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols or not. Now, we can't really relate to that, but that was a big, a big deal. Like, they would accuse each other of not really being, you know, true Christians over, over this, this issue. Some believers said that it was perfectly fine to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Others said it was absolutely unacceptable. Believers cannot do this. And the Apostle Paul weighed in on it. And he said, this is a matter where it is not essential to agree. He determined that it was a matter of conscience, uh, conscience and that each believer was free to decide for themselves. No one in the church was to try to persuade anyone else to act in violation of their own conscience, but everyone was to know and to embrace that this was not an essential 
It was a matter of personal conscience, and they weren't to elevate this non-essential to the level of an essential. And there are all kinds of topics that we deal with today that are important but do not rise to the level of being essential. A Christian's view of the end times is not essential. How often a church receives communion is not essential. Whether or not it's okay to sing songs written by artists or groups that some Christians don't like is a matter of opinion. It is not essential. On non-essentials, we practice liberty. Liberty. We're to respect differences of opinion and acknowledge that we don't have to agree on everything to walk in unity. Of course, here's, here's a challenge. We don't always agree on what's essential and what's not essential. But really, the topics where that is debatable should be pretty few in number. And, and here are some things that help us to get down to where there might just be a few of those topics where we might have a little, little bit to work through. And that is familiarity with the Scriptures and spiritual maturity. If we have those two things, they should help us to be fairly accurate in identifying what is essential and what is not essential. At least down to maybe just a very few topics. So in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and this next one's really important, in all things charity or love. When we disagree on non-essentials, we are still to act in love toward each other. And get this, even when we disagree on essentials, and even when those disagreements result in a mutual acknowledgement that we can no longer walk in unity, even then, we are to act in love toward each other. Here's a huge problem that exists in the church of Jesus Christ. Too many believers elevate non-essentials to the level of being essential. And when their brothers and sisters don't go along with their misguided categorizations, instead of remaining committed to love, they become angry and they go on the attack. They label their brothers and sisters enemies. They often get to the place where they seek to destroy. They destroy reputations. They destroy ministries. They even destroy churches. And it's all due to their own inability to, to distinguish between what is essential and what's non-essential. We are to be people who keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We are to be committed to peace. To peace. We walk this out by being united on essentials, by allowing liberty on non-essentials, and by being committed to love in all things. Understand this. Even when you come to the place that you acknowledge you can no longer walk in unity with someone, you still have a responsibility to act in love toward them. In all things, love. And next week, we're going to bring that down to a very practical level as well. And we're going to consider some very practical ways 
that we walk out this commitment to love in all things. Here's the final thing that we find in today's text about how we walk in unity. We remember the superiority of what unites us. Verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. These seven things unite us. We're part of Christ's one body. If we are uh, truly converted, regenerated believers, we are all indwelled by the one Spirit, the Holy Spirit. We all have one hope, Christ. We all serve the one Lord. We serve the same and only Lord. We all share one faith. We've all partaken in one baptism. We've been baptized into Christ. And we all serve the one and the only God. These things are what unite us. And they are so superior to the non-essentials that so often become the source of division. Friends, unity is important. It matters. It matters so much that we have to commit to make every effort to maintain it. And we've seen today in Ephesians 4 how unity is maintained. And so every believer must embrace these things, commit to these things, and practice these things. If we're going to walk in unity and honor the work that Christ has done to make us one in him. So live up to your calling. Live up to it. Remember who you are and what's required of you. Embrace humility and gentleness. Understand that patience is required. I mean, just settle it. Our brothers and sisters will disagree with us sometimes. Our brothers and sisters will disappoint us sometimes. We will sin against each other sometimes. Accept that reality. Commit to patience. Commit to bearing with one another in love. I'm going to have to be long-suffering if I'm going to walk in unity with my fellow believers. Realize that unity requires work. And just commit today to make every effort to guard and maintain it. Don't give in and don't give up at the first sign of trouble. Don't throw in the towel the minute a conflict arises. Commit to make every effort. There may come a point where when you've made every effort, but, but don't give up before that. Commit to make every effort. Commit to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Be committed to being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper in essentials unity and non-essentials liberty and all things charity. And remember that what unites us is far superior to the non-essentials that are so often the cause of divisions in the church. If we'll put into practice what we have seen here in Ephesians 4, we will be able to maintain unity most of the time. Most of the time. And even when we have to admit that we just can't recover unity, even then, if we'll put into practice what we've seen, even then, we can act in love toward each other. This is the how of Christian unity. This is how it's maintained. 
This is how we show a watching world that Jesus really has made a difference in our lives because we walk in unity, because we act in love no matter what. And so it's my prayer today that every member of Living Hope Church will be the kind of believer that makes every effort to maintain the unity that Christ desires for his church and that Christ secured for his church through his death on the cross. Let's stand.